Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hello. What does Catorce mean? 14. It means 14? Hmm? Quattro's four. So when, in that U2 song, when Bono goes, uno, dos. Tres, catorce. He says that in a song? That's the lyric. He's saying one, two, three, fourteen. Fourteen? <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. What the fuck, Bono? <clears throat> Can I get a test from your mic, Justin? Check one, two. That sounds pretty good. <clears throat> okay, I'm probably going to be embarrassed by this one. I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous, I'm really too. nervous. <laughs> oh, God, I'm embarrassed. Cruising down the street at USC. Writing them scripts. Thinking of scenes. John Singleton had just one dream, to be a Hollywood director for the silver screen. <laughs> Film school told him to write what he knows, so he thought about his childhood in South Central. He popped in a tape of N.W.A. and then John started writing his first screenplay. Cause Boys in the Hood was in his heart. He had a story to tell and words to impart. The only thing he needed before he could start was a couple great actors to play the parts. So we went to his job to make that dope. A PA on the Pee Wee Herman show. It was there he began to announce his purpose when he met Larry Fishburne playing Cowboy Curtis. He pulled him to the side and told him he was a fan. Larry Fishburne responded, gee thanks a lot man. The Singleton told him as a way to prove it, I'ma write you a role in my debut movie. Cut to a year or two later while John was an intern Working for Arsenio Hall, he met Ice Cube Rapper for NWA, he said Hey dude, do you wanna read my screenplay? There's a real good part and I wrote it for you Ice Cube took a look and said it sounds pretty cool Then he held auditions and the first to walk in Was Morris Chestnut and Cuba good in. Cause Boys in the Hood was bout to pop It had a life of its own and it couldn't be stopped the debut feature had everyone stunned when it was a smash hit of 1991. 
I don't care about what's going on in the hood. We're talking boys, 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 boys in the hood. Boys, 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 boys in the hood. Oh. Wow. <laughs> that was longer than the podcast. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be sent off to live with its father. That doesn't sound too bad to me. Yeah. That, so if this is a DVD, then I imagine the father is like the VHS, the VHS of Stand By Me. Mm. You know, if you're sending a DVD off to its father. Sure. Yeah. Stand By Me. Big influence. Mm-hmm. Big. And the Blu-ray that, mm-hmm. that, the, that the DVD would have would be like paid in full. I heard Singleton was inspired by Now and Then more. Wasn't it? Was that, <laughs> That's what I that, thought. Did I misunderstand? You know, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. That's what I got when I was watching <laughs> he it. He wrote, I think the original part for Cuba Gooding Jr. was supposed to Rosie be- Rosie O'Donnell? Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Uh, but she turned it down. It seems like she's kind of hard to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks, if you're wondering what we're talking about, that means you're not subscribed to the Patreon, where we talk deep about one of Corey's childhood favorite films, Now and Then. Go check it out if you're interested. Uh, speaking of Corey, we're also joined by Corey Clifford. Do you think the Doughboys <laughs> podcast is a reference to Boys in the Hood? Oh, probably, oh, yeah. Wow. Ice Cube's character, Doughboy. Oh. Yeah. I think both of them had the same kind of upbringing and <laughs> childhood. <laughs> yeah. Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today on Cinema Possessed, we're talking about the 1991 breakthrough masterpiece, Boys in the Hood. This is Los Angeles, gang capital of the nation. Either they don't know, don't show, don't care about what's going on in the hood. In South Central LA, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? I'm gonna shoot the mother. Think, young brother, about your future. No, why you sweating me? You're my only son, and I'm not gonna lose you to no bull. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. Heard you like Mr. GQ smooth now. Maybe some of what you gotta rub off on him. I wanna do something with my life, all right? I wanna be somebody. When you were a little boy, you used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. We got a problem here? We got a problem? Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central LA. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you gonna learn. Mm. Mm. Sobering trailer. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's definitely in the mood of the film. Very sad. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but this was like a total cable classic for me growing up. I saw this Tons of times. Before I ever owned it on DVD, I, I saw it dozens of times on Same. cable. Same. It used to be what well, was not on, on non-cable, too. It was on UPN all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched, I've seen this movie so many times in parts. I don't remember seeing it on TV. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. It was one of the few memorable like gut punch movies as a kid. You know, there's mm-hmm. like movies that you see as a kid that sort of like actually give you like an emotional wallop. This uh, Philadelphia, I remember first time seeing it, just bawling and also seeing that on TV. Mm-hmm. Dead Man Walking. I don't think... uh, Fox and the Hound. Again, the TV was controlled by my father. Mm -hmm. And I don't think... We were a movie family, but it was go out and rent it, not... uh, My parents were very vocal about commercials and all of that Mm. stuff. And, And... you know, as far as they didn't the, like, like the Duracell family and the what's the Duracell family? A family of plastic people that had Duracells in their back. It's creepy. Yeah, it was yeah, creepy. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, mainly avoiding commercials and also not willing to spend money on channels. Like we never had right. any of the a big premium cable package. Yeah. yeah, missed out on a lot. I feel because of that, but. Corey, was this a, a, a gut punch to you when you saw it as a kid? Do you oh remember? Oh my God, yes. I was avoiding wanting to watch it this week because it made me so mm-hmm. sad. This is an emotional movie. Yeah, rated R for extreme sadness. Rated R for... Okay! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it hits. What did you watch it on? Um, this So this is going to be another videotech situation oh. for me. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We've alluded many times that there was a great DVD sell-off. <laughs> Right. Uh, we had to make some money. Um, so here's Boys in the Hood. Oh, they I didn't know Videotech ever did little covers on their things. They don't do it often, but this one does, but it's also <laughs> funny because it's a trick. Ready? Okay. Look at the look at the disc. <gasps> they give you Baby Boy? <gasps> Baby Boy and Boys in the Hood. Oh, it's a it's a two oh, for disc. Two. It's a two for disc. It's a two for Well, that's for a one. good two for because I love Baby Boy. Yeah, Nut Baby Boy, another great singleton flick with Tyrese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Snoop Dog. Videotech is my jam and hell. Evens the library. Sure. Which I gotta say, I'm gonna get dorky for a second. <laughs> Not dorky. The library is unreal. Do you know at the library you can rent movies yes. for sure? Uh-huh. Oh, but I you know. can also rent um passes to go to national parks that would you wanted to go to a national park for a day, Joshua Tree, the Grand Canyon. Cost you thirty dollars to drive in. The library, you can check out passes. Wow. That's incredible. You can rent a computer. You could take home a laptop. The library is a magical place. Going to, let's say, the comic book store, Mm -hmm. I started to notice, okay, this is adding, I'm buying too many comics. This is adding up. This is becoming another bad habit. And I just assumed there's no way the library has any of this shit. So I started to go to to the comic book store, take photos of really niche, weird shit, that I was interested in. Instead of buying it, I go home, I log on to the library, and I type in one title. It's there. They got it. Hold. Type in a second title. Oh my God, they have that too. Mm-hmm. Every title I put in, the library had it because it's the entire LA library district. Right. So it doesn't matter if your local library doesn't have it. If you press hold you and you set your home library as, as the main library, Every single thing you put on hold will ship to that library, oh. and they'll shoot you a little notification when it's ready for pickup. I wasn't aware of that either. I just assumed you'd have to go to the various different- Doesn't matter. That's yeah. incredible. And um, and so I like walked to the library, started picking those up, and then I was like, I forgot that they have movies. Oh, yeah. And so I started to do that with movies. Every single movie we've talked about on this pod, the library has. Right. DVDs, Blu-rays. They got it all. Well, usually at libraries and stuff too, if they don't have it, they will get it. They will get it. They will get anything that you ask them to get. They will get. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the physical media exists and serves many different communities. And so it doesn't just have to be 
I want to see this movie. Right. But obviously, if it's between buying it yourself mm-hmm. and buying a digital copy on Apple, buy the physical media. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, same yeah. price. There's benefits to both, but the digital thing, time and time again, has proven that at any moment they can just they can snatch take it, it away. away. Oh yeah. Or um, alter it. Have you heard the whole thing that's going on right now with about the Fringe Connection? No. Fringe Connection just came out on Criterion Channel streaming. Two moments have been deleted from the film, unannounced. And both of these moments involved the main character using an ethnic slur, and they have been edited from the movie. You know, that would alarm people anyways in in any circumstance, but particularly the fact that Criterion has released this on their channel. You know, their whole thing is that we preserve the uh, original artistic intent of these films. It seems like Criterion wasn't even aware that it happened. They probably acquired the film from whoever owns it, 20th Century or who Disney probably. And they are the ones who made the edits without announcing or telling anybody and then putting it out there. And so people are, you know, it's it's a weird situation because people are sort of fighting for the integrity of something that where like a, a racial slur was used. But it's the integrity of the original film. And it's like, if they can do well, that. Also, that's a weird like rewriting history. It's exactly. like you have to be able to learn there's from a, history. And if you're suddenly just pulling all of that stuff, it's like, let's are we pretending that that, that didn't happen? Yeah. That's- okay, well, here's an interesting thought experiment. What if the filmmaker... 30 years later, however, mm-hmm. maybe 40 years later, watching his movie and he was like, man, I've come such a long That's way different. as a person and I regret those two lines. I wish I could take them out. That's different. If you And if you want to do that, that's your choice to do that and then to re-release it mm-hmm. just like George Lucas tried. To, one, I have highly doubt that William Friedkin made that call mm, yeah. <laughs> or was involved yeah. in this in any way. Of course. But two, I think there should be some sort of an announcement that this movie has been altered from its original Def- form. Either way, whether it's Friedkin, whether it's Criterion, whether it's the studio, it needs some sort of disclaimer. Yeah. And so that's a that's a, a streaming only mm-hmm. issue. If you own the DVD or the Blu-rays of The French Connection, you have the original uncut movie mm-hmm. there, uh, but you don't know what you're getting when you put on a thing. We've talked about this before. And so like that's, yeah. if if integrity of the movie means anything to you, then like when you stream a movie, you don't exactly know if you're getting the true yeah. integrity. I get what's behind the intention to do it. It does feel like virtue signaling and it does feel yeah. problematic that it's not being called out or addressed. Sure. Like, hey, we... The, it, it feels like uh, French Connection, William Friedkin never, ever did anything problematic, right. you know? Yeah. So now you guys can enjoy this this movie. Well, it's without- also, it runs deeper than that, too. It's like, it's the I don't think the movie is pushing that agenda. It's saying this character has a bias. This character yeah. is a discriminating person. He's a representation of his time. Exactly. And our current time and as so well. And it's, so it's, it just begs the question of like, why? Yeah. Why did you choose to and do that? And how many movies would you have to do that to? If it, like, you're exactly. Start, you're now setting a precedent where you're going to do that to thousands of films in your collection. And what's the precedent? Because it made you <clears throat> feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So you're going to go into any movie that makes you feel uncomfortable and cut the uncomfortable part out of it. Yeah. Interesting yeah. thing it, that's happening. And when I go to Videotech, I learn something new in a way that I cannot do when I'm browsing for sure. something on oh yeah on a digital platform or mm-hmm. on IMDb. And when I walked up to the counter with Boys in the Hood, you know what he said to me? Did you know that the Academy Museum is doing a Boys in the Hood exhibit? <gasps> and because of him, I went. Wow. And I would have never, you went to the Academy Museum doing the, the exhibit right now? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a good 
whatever that section of the podcast that you sometimes do. Well, we're doing it now. In physical yeah. media news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, popped in. It's very small. Yeah. It's not that. The uh, boys in the hood section. Yeah, it's not yeah. It's not what you yeah. were hoping for. Mm-hmm. One tiny room with some wardrobe, original script notes. Fun. One from Columbia that I think ultimately picked up the movie. Mm-hmm. And one from Orion, which roasted the movie. Oh. Said it was awful. Mm. Um, and then a behind the scenes documentary that was playing that I assume is available on YouTube or something. That's cool. I want to go check it out. I watched mine on the, a DVD that I've had for a long, long time. It has zero special features except for a trailer. Wow. But the transfer looked really good, uh, which is so interesting that this old ass version looks better than like when I watched a much newer release, Oh Brother Art Thou. Which I wonder if it like depends crap. on the runtime because the more runtime, obviously the more compression. But this is not a short movie. 140? Almost two hours. This is a debut feature. We talked about that a little bit when with Dumb and Dumber. This movie even came up. We talked And about, Soderbergh too. And Soderbergh what, too, So yeah. I asked on the Soderbergh podcast, is he the youngest filmmaker to... He Well, he... He didn't win an Oscar for Sex Lies. No, he didn't get nominated or anything. this guy is fucking 24. Four twenty years old, nominated Jesus, it hurts. for, it hurts for best yeah. director. Yeah, he's the first African American yeah. to be nominated for best director, and the youngest person to ever be nominated yeah. for uh, best director. Twenty four. He wow. wrote it. Did he write it when he was fucking nineteen? So the the story is that he came up with the idea when he was submitting to film school because they in his application <sighs> they asked to give three ideas for films, and this was one of them. And then all throughout film school, like his final sort of thesis project was to have to turn in a script. So he he wrote it in film school. One of the things he said that was so inspiring to me, he was like, every day I was in the computer lab. He didn't have a computer. So he, yeah, was he would do it in the library, do it in the library, writing his script, standing up, acting out the dialogue yeah. out loud, Ugh. people telling him to shut up, <laughs> right. you know, be quiet. <laughs> Him screaming back at them, but just like (laughs) typing this thing out and then hands it to his teacher and says, you're going to give me an A. Like, you're going to give me an Mm -hmm. A. And she was like, all right, we'll see, John. Yeah. And then, you know, he picked up his script and he's like, what I get? She's like, I got an A. Wow. (laughs) What I like about this debut is like a lot of times, first time films, they try to be like more subversive. You know, they try to sort of like make it meta or twist a genre, you know, like Reservoir Dogs is like a subversive take on like the crime genre. Sex Lies Videotape in a lot of ways is sort of like being meta. This is a very classical approach to a story. He's not really trying to like, he's not doing anything postmodern with this movie. He's, he's very, he's telling like an emotional epic story, a coming of age movie as his first film. It's very sincere. But also, like, he, he he has, like, a lot to say. You just don't see this as, like, first-time filmmaking a lot, you know? Like, coming out the gate with such a strong point of view about the world. You watch this movie, and you're like, it feels like he wanted to, like, change opinions and lives with this movie, you know? Yeah. He, like, he had, like, a real goal for this thing. It wasn't just, like, make, a, make my first movie. And it's kind of big. It doesn't feel small scale either. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people write their first movies to be really small. So it's just like a, a quite a feat that this is the first fucking movie he ever made. Yeah. And he's shown, I mean, the, the, just the fact that he got it made so quickly. Right out. Know, of, he, he, he was on set shooting this movie four months after graduating. God, what a dream. He looks like a baby on set. I think they gave yeah. him a $6 million budget, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. $10 million in the first three days. Damn. God. Opening. Yeah. So mm-hmm. already made your money back yeah. and more. They made the movie and they didn't really, you know, they everybody loved it, but they didn't quite know what they had. One of the producers submitted to Khan, it got in, premiered there, 
rapturous, like 10 minute standing ovation. And that's kind of when they realize like, oh, I think we kind of have a special movie here. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of buzz coming out of it. And then when it premiered, like in theaters, it was an immediate hit. And everybody who went and saw it came out of the movie being like a huge promoter of the movie. Like he he was like, it was crazy that people would come in and they would come out telling people how important the movie was. Roger Ebert was a huge promoter of the movie. And then by the time it got into its second weekend, the narrative started to change because there was like one night of violence that happened in Los Angeles. There was like a, a big fight where some people actually, I think, got killed in a theater that was a gang-related fight. It was in a bad part of town, and it was at a screening of the movie, which John Singleton was like, that happened almost every weekend already at any movie, but nobody reported on it. The fact that it was at Boys in the Hood suddenly then made it the narrative of the movie. And so all these news outlets started reporting that like it's dangerous to go see this movie because it's causing violence in the auditoriums. And so then they had to go on this big campaign to try to reverse the image of the movie And basically, John Singleton just went out there and his whole thing was just like, go see it. If you go see the movie, I can guarantee you, you won't come out thinking this is promoting violence. And what happened is people went and saw it. And by like the third week, it had sort of won back its reputation. But also, you know, the flip side of that narrative, too, is countless screenings where rival gang members are watching the movie together in the theater in peace. And just marveling at this, their neighborhood. Because it's speaking to them, yeah. Mm -hmm. showing things that have never, literally never been shown in film before. Mm -hmm. That's cool. This movie is a little bit of a message movie. I think it's gotten some heat, especially nowadays when people sort of look back on it as like, some people say that it feels like an after-school special, that it's preachy. You know, I can't deny that the movie is kind of preachy, but also can't deny that it works. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because he has great actors who are selling it. I think the dialogue is written really well. And so even though certain scenes like on paper, like the scene where Lawrence Fishburne takes them out and like gives them the whole gentrification speech and like a crowd gathers around and like he's kind of, <laughs> he's standing on a soapbox and like saying all this stuff is on paper, like I guess kind of cheesy, but in the context of the movie and the context of the characters, I love that scene. Yeah, I think we look at it differently now because we are in the internet age, the social media age, the Twitter age, where all that kind of stuff, that sort of messaging is in your face, talked about all the time. So when you see it in a movie, you do roll your eyes a little bit more now. But back then, I think this was information that a lot of people needed to hear. This was kind of this was the kind of message that you didn't get all the time. Yeah. And so to be able to go to a movie like this that is bringing in a huge audience, kids included, I think it was noble of the movie to try to send a message, to try to deliver a message in a way that I think is classy, and uh, very well done. I had a disheartening moment at the Academy Museum, though. The flip side of that is there was a field trip of young kids. Who mm-hmm. I was watching the documentary, and all these kids pile in and stop. They're mesmerized. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is fun. I want to watch them watching mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It was showing a lot of scenes from the movie and a lot of violent scenes. Right. And they were, they were like all laughing at it and making fun of it and be like, oh, that yeah. looks fake. The, but there was like the dead body shot. They're like that looks fake, and then there was some fighting and out of context. They don't get the whole yeah. movie. They're you know they're not. They're just trying to make each other laugh. Yeah. But it was like I was just kind of hoping that they would be like, "Whoa, this is cool!" Yeah. Like, yeah. and uh, the teacher would have to be like, "Come on, let's go. We're we're yeah. not sticking around for this." As much as I don't love a lot of the modern movies that are in theaters, there is a level of polish to them that, to me, sometimes that polish is gross, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But that polish means that they look back at some older films, mm-hmm. and they're not able to get 
absorbed into it because they're distracted by it. And part of that's just unavoidable. I yeah. mean, that's the way our generation felt about black and white movies. So many kids that I knew wouldn't watch a movie from this from the 80s because they could sort of feel that 80s sheen into them that was just like boring. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's just kind of a generational thing that like you get, you grow up getting used to a certain level of yeah. look to your movies and anything that you can sort of sense is like, ancient you know but i think the vintage, more you watch turns you off the, the more you forgive of course and you're able you get better at sort of understanding okay this is just how things were just in the, the, time. the mm -hmm. hairstyles yeah. are mm -hmm. laughable the first zoom in on uh neil long uh -huh. is just like it's funny you yeah. can't help but chuckle just because it feels so dated <laughs> or like yeah. little chris's like jerry curl his yeah. jerry curl is so <laughs> cute um i but, love the style in this movie though the outfits are fucking mm -hmm. great across yeah. the board even the kid's style in this movie mm -hmm. is incredible yeah. my favorite character is is furious i think oh he's my god so yeah. interesting too it's like especially that him and angela bassett are separated mm -hmm. we don't know the details <sighs> around that yeah. they are so mm -hmm. sexy the two of oh, them yeah. like lawrence fisherman came out and i was like what the Fuck, how did I forget this? He is wow, 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 wow. And she is older than Cuba Gooding Jr. I know, yeah. so seven yeah. apparently, because yeah. I was wondering the same thing. Oh my God. And Angela Bassett just is like, I mean, it's just stunning, stunning. Mm -hmm. These two people, of course, they created Cuba Gooding Jr. Because yeah, exactly. like, the these are the two most beautiful people. Singleton said that, you know, he cast Lawrence Fishburne first. And then ask Lawrence Fishburne, who are the black female actresses that you want to work with the most? And he said, Angela Bassett and Tyra Farrell. And so John Singleton just went cast in both, both of them. Yeah. Wow. And Tyra's in a lot of Spike Lee and mm -hmm. yeah. John mm -hmm. Singleton. And honestly, I think she's like low key, one of the best actors yeah. in this yes. film. She's really good. And, she's so and good. that character is really complex too. And she just like- Well, her intro it. where she's just like verbally abusing oh, Doughboy. I know. But then you see her years later and you can tell like she kind of matured a little bit. Like, a little bit though. Yeah. But the, by the end of the movie, I mean like that's, that's what's so interesting about that's her character so is like how she is so loving and supportive of one son and so- sort of abusive to another son and you see the sort of differences of the of how they're turning out too the movie also makes a point too that they have different dads so that could tie into it too of mm -hmm. like she has feelings about one dad for versus sure the other exactly. and that what makes him yeah. makes him differently the success of this movie did open a lot of doors for black filmmakers particularly the hughes brothers however the problem was is that uh, in classic Hollywood style, they only wanted movies like this from black filmmakers. They kind of wouldn't allow them to make any other movies other than like, quote unquote, hood movies. And so you ended up getting great movies. A lot of these, Minister Society, I think is an incredible movie, mm -hmm. Above the Rim, South Central, Juice, Fresh, Tales from the Hood. Leprechaun it, in the Hood. <laughs> Leprechaun in the Hood. But yeah, the trend became obvious very quickly. And uh, did you ever see the movie uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood? No. It's a parody movie of this genre by the Wayans Brothers. Same people who brought you Scary Movie. Oh, I knew the movie as Don't Be a Menace. I didn't know full title. full title. <laughs> Don't Be a Menace, Menace to Society. Yeah. To South Central, which is yeah. based on the movie South Central, while drinking your juice, which is based on the movie Juice, in the hood, which is... Boys in the, the Hood. Um, and it's a parody movie that is basically taking the narrative of Boys in the Hood and just lampooning the whole genre. And that came out 94. 596. That feels like it's going to be hard to watch. It's got some funny, it's got some stuff, some problematic <laughs> stuff in there. I mean, like, as all of them do, you know, humor sometimes doesn't age well with the context of the times. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a little kid seeing Don't Me a Menace 
not knowing it was a parody because I didn't even know what parodies were. I would watch like The Naked Gun and Airplane, all those Zucker Brothers movies, and I just looked at them as comedies because I didn't, I wasn't aware of the other movies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so when I rented Don't Be a Menace, I thought it was going to be just like Blank Man or Major Pain. I thought it was just going to be a regular comedy. And I remember watching it, having had seen Boys in the Hood on TV so many times, watching Don't Be a Menace and realizing in that viewing, oh, they're specifically making fun of these movies. And that's kind of how I became to understand what a parody was. These character names for Don't Be a Menace are hilarious. Lock Dog, Ashtray, Mailman, <laughs> Crazy Legs, <Yeah>. Toothpick, Do-Rag. <laughs> um, well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and continue talking about Boys in the Hood. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed. We are talking Boys in the Hood. This movie, I think, has a really powerful opening. You get this like sort of soundscape behind the Columbia Pictures of a fight that sort of breaks out. You don't see it, you just hear it. Gunshots all around you, and then sirens, and then crying. And then you hear like a little child say, They shot my brother! They shot my brother! And it's fucking sobering and yeah. the the title of the movie comes up in this big cool logo that just flies in your face across the screen um really powerful and then there's two title cards that come up one of them says one out of every 21 black american males will be murdered in their lifetime then it fades out and a second title card fades up that says most will die by the hands of another black male now this second title card is fairly controversial now mm -hmm. because it seems to be pointing a finger mm -hmm. at black people. I get why people would sort of be like, this is, this is a thing that doesn't age well because it's kind of maybe finger wagging at the wrong people. I will suggest an alternative read. These two title cards are in quotes. So that gives the impression that it's almost like headlines from a newspaper, from what you would see in the news. And if you watch this movie, this movie I think makes it very clear that the headlines that are coming out of the news are not telling the true story. You have characters saying that constantly throughout the movie. And then also, right after that last title card pops up, the first shot of this film is a hard pushing in a stop sign. It's almost like it's saying, here's what the media is saying. Hmm. 
But now let's stop and think about it. That only makes sense if you don't have the character of the cop. I don't necessarily think that the cop negates that. The, but the cop is is feeding into that. The cop, he's choo- John Singleton is choosing to not show a problematic white cop. There's not one, not one in the movie. Sure. And the only problematic cop in the movie is another black cop. I think he's trying to point out this is how deep the brainwashing goes. I think the movie makes it very clear why this problem is happening and who's pulling the strings. And it's outside forces. Now, course, I don't think, yeah. th- I don't, my argument isn't that he's saying, here's some title cards, they're not true. I think he's saying they are true. What I think he's saying is, think about why this yeah, is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a, that's and, a and no-brainer. I don't think he's blaming or wagging the finger at black people. I think he's going out the of his way. The movie does not feel no, that way no by d- any means. Yeah, that that thinks- one sentence, I think if you were just like, right when the movie starts, mm-hmm. I mean, it did pull, I was like, ugh. But Think about the time. That's probably what everybody was seeing on the news. For so sure, absolutely. What he's, he's wanting you to time. do is think about it. Think about what you've been seeing no, on the yeah, news. You saying that have makes... that wrestling around yeah. in your brain as you watch this movie. And I think I will. I will show you. I will enlighten you on why this is. That's all. So then we open on a little boy named Trey. What up, Trey? You need homework? What homework? Not for it. Yeah, I did it. Can't copy it? Hell no. Too bad. You should have done it. Did y'all hear the shooting last night? Yeah, I heard it. I got on my bed. Man, you a scary cat. My mama say, a bullet don't have no name on it. I ain't afraid to get shot. Both my brothers were shot, they still alive. They lucky. He meets up with a group of friends, and one of the friends, this little boy, says, Y'all want to see something? And he leads them into this alleyway where there has clearly been uh, a shooting. It's a crime scene. There's crime scene tape. There's blood on the ground. Notice that they cross uh, uh, posters of Ronald Reagan and the little boy flips off the posters, which now in hindsight, I think even at the time, people knew that like Reagan's war on drugs was a racist agenda. It was a lot in a lot of ways a war on black communities. And so right away, you see that even these little children are sort of aware of that to the point that this kid is flipping off the poster. So then we go to school. As I've said before, anytime you got a school scene, you know you're getting some of the themes of the movie. It opens on like a little montage of all these children's drawings on the walls of this classroom, and all the drawings are of police arresting black people. Mm -hmm. The school teacher is teaching about Thanksgiving. She says, the pilgrims, you know, shared food with the Indians, excuse me, Native Americans, and we all came together in harmony. De- I mean, that teacher honestly is better than any teacher I ever had. For sure. <laughs> we didn't have a single teacher ever say Native American. Same, yeah. same. Which is shocking Indian. that this was yeah. made before you and I were mm-hmm. in c- those classes being taught that. Mm-hmm. She, when she says the word pilgrims, you just hear this disembodied voice from the class go, the penguins. <laughs> and everybody fucking cracks up. <laughs> and we see it's a little tray and she's like, why do you always have something to say? And he's like, because I'm a comedian. Did you ever, I remember there was a kid in my class who was kind of like him. He was a little smart ass named Benson. And I have a very specific memory of him. He kept snapping back at the teacher and the teacher was like, Benson, I know what you're doing. Do you think I have a hole in my head? And I remember him going, yeah, you actually have like five holes in your head. You have your nose, your mouth, your (laughs) eyes, your ears, and everybody cracking up. And I remember thinking like, he's smart. (laughs) That's a good comeback. This is in like second grade. Yeah, that teacher probably cried herself. She probably cried. <laughs> oh, if you're so smart, get up in the class and teach them something. He's like, okay, I will. He gets up in front of the class and he tells them that everyone here 
originated from Africa. But did you know that Africa is the place where the body of the first man was found? My daddy says that makes it the place where all people originated from. That means everybody's really from Africa. Everybody. All y'all. Everybody. I ain't from Africa. I'm from Crenshaw Mafia. <laughs> like it now, you from Africa. I'm from Africa. You from Africa, you African booty scratcher. <laughs> Punk, I'll kick your ass. Okay, boys, that's enough. Count to ten and be quiet. I'll get my brother, shoot you in the face. Get your punk ass brother, Trey. bitch. I get my daddy. Trey. At least I got one, motherfucker. Ain't your that's bitch. It. Enough. Ain't nobody's bitch. Bobby, bitch. Are you listening to me? Sit down now. So they end up calling Angela Bassett, who plays Trey's mom. And the interesting scene here where she's on the phone with them, and you can just tell by the way she's speaking to them that, like, the school talks down to her a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, for being a single mom. They suspend him, and she's like, don't worry, I'm going to handle this. And when Trey gets home, she tells him, you got to go live with your father. And yeah, this is like the third minute of the movie. It's very economical storytelling going on. You get right into this stuff. Uh, and yeah, she takes him to South Central, where his father, Furious Styles, which is a fucking awesome God, name. Such a good name. Lawrence Fishburne is looking like a snack. So yeah, the Furious character and Trey moving to live with his dad mm-hmm. seems like it was based off John's own childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did live with his dad, mm-hmm. and his dad whipped him into shape. As I mentioned in my cold open song, John Singleton was a PA on Pee Wee's Playhouse, where Lawrence Fishburne was notably Cowboy Curtis. Did you ever watch Pee Wee's Playhouse? Of course. Loved it. Me too. I had the whole, I had like a box set. My mom ordered it for me. I'd never seen the show. I was obsessed with the movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Mm -hmm. And my mom was like, oh, you should watch the show. So she ordered me this box set that came with a box, but it was empty. And it came with one tape. And it was the first episode. Every week, a new tape would come in and would fill the box set with the entire, it was I want like to say- like a sub- subscription? It's basically like a subscription. Wow. The spines of the tapes created like a big image of That's Pee-wee and all the characters. I love that. Didn't we just like sell that at a we did. yard sale we for did. like we $5? The whole set. Yeah, so in this scene, we meet two of Trey's friends, Doughboy and Chris, who are great. Like these yeah. little kids- Speaking of like the comparison to now and then too, like the the little kid version to adult version in this movie is one million oh. trillion times better because you can just immediately like, okay, yep, it that's tracks. him, that's him, that's yeah. him. The kid who plays Trey was a real actor. Every other child in this movie found in the neighborhood basically. Mm-hmm. And They're so- all so good. Doughboy and Chris, John Singleton did say he hated working with them. Because he was like, <laughs> these kids had no attention span. It was like so hard to wrangle them. They could not keep their attention on anything. And he like made a vow coming out of it that he would like never work with kids again. But he gets fantastic performances out of all of them. Yeah. Man, your dad is scary. He's worse than the boogeyman himself. <laughs> and it's so funny because after he says that, the Chris kid with the Jerry curl is like, man, stop playing. There ain't a boogeyman. Even just the word boogeyman scares him. Yeah. <laughs> I had a kid who could, you could not say Freddy Krueger in front of him. He would freak at just the utterance of his name. His excuse is that if you talk about Freddy Krueger, I'm going to get scared and I'm going to go home and I'm going to be talking about Freddy Krueger and then my dad's going to force me to watch it. 
none of us had even seen Freddy. I had no, I had no patience for kids who were like scared. Scaredy cats. Yeah, horror (gasps) movies, and it's all I wanted to to watch and talk about. This kid told me that he didn't like movies and he didn't like music. He only liked sports. He said that too. Dude, just be careful. This kid's probably listening, and he's like, not gonna uh, name his name. Steve Buscemi and uh, (laughs) Billy Madison, and he's putting me on a kill list right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we get these sort of sequences where. Lawrence Fishburne's character Furious is teaching little Trey how to be responsible. I think that's kind of like his main thing. He points out that like none of your little friends have anyone to teach them responsibility. And what you see is that they're just always playing. And basically they're going to be playing their whole lives because they're never going to know responsibility. So I'm going to teach you responsibility. So first thing you got to do, rake this yard up. Your dad ever make you do that? I mean, I did rake leaves. I I mowed lawns and raked lawns for money. I kind of wanted to. I don't remember ever being forced to rake leaves. I used to love Halloween time, those pumpkin yeah, uh, yeah, bags yeah, yeah. that you would fill with leaves. The the one we had was painted like a spider. Ooh. So you would fill like a bunch of little bags with leaves and then you would create this giant spider in the yard with mm-hmm. it. And it had like eyes and fangs. It was cool. That's fun. I regret not like hustling more and getting, I getting know. like going door to door. Could you imagine if you went door to door in your entire neighborhood and said, I'll mow your lawn for five That's bucks. Exactly That's exactly what, what I did. did used yeah. to That's do. exactly what I did. And I made money. For five dollars? We would charge twenty. Yeah. Twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. That's a good deal. Split between two people. So we'd all, we'd each walk away with ten bucks. Never Do you think they did it because they genuinely were like too lazy or too busy or they've just, they felt I bad think it's kind of like a both thing, you know, it's like, well, if they'll mow my lawn, you know, I'll help these little mm-hmm. kids out. It's kind of like when you would go do fundraisers, people mm-hmm. sort of feel guilty. Yeah. Oh my God. I had to do, I hated doing fundraisers because I was not good at it. I was not a good salesman. I would literally just ring the doorbell and be like, you want to do a fundraiser? And I would hand them the little <laughs> packet and just cross my fingers that they wanted to buy something. And I remember the teachers being like, no, you got to sell this That's shit. so weird that we used to have to do that because yeah. I do remember that. Like They would be like, here's how you do it. Go door to door and be a salesman. You've got to flip the pages. You got to point to the things. You got to tell them why they want that. And I was like, I can't do that. That's too stressful. So I remember <laughs> going across the street to my neighbors who I took piano lessons with. That was really my only context for them. And I rang the doorbell. I said, hi, do you want to do a fundraiser? I handed her the little magazine and she was like, yeah, I'll look through it. While I'm looking through it, can you do me a favor? And I was like, sure. She goes and she pulls out her wet vac that is filled to the brim with whatever she had just wet vacked out of her carpet. She pulls the little canister out, hands it to me and says, can you go dump this down the sewer? So I take this huge, full, dirty water ass wet vac thing and had to dump it down the open sewer drain and everything inside of it got caught coming out, like wouldn't come out. And it was hair, like long. It was literally like, it looked like somebody had stuck a bunch of rats in a blender and just blended it up. And it wouldn't come out of the thing, so I had to use my fucking hands to like pull out. And I did, I wanted to vomit. Did she buy anything? No. <gasps> I went back and she was like, some of the stuff looks okay, but I think I, I'm going to have to talk to my husband. Uh, she didn't she even buy used anything. You. She used me. Wow. And I don't That's think I even cold. went to any more houses that day. I was like- I'm And she good. was your piano instructor? She was my piano instructor. Did you yeah. stop lessons after? I had already stopped. She had been my piano teacher like years ago. She years was before. bitter. She was like getting her revenge. Yeah, she was like, oh, hey, you're the one who quit on me. Yeah. I'm going to punish you. Mm-hmm. So then there's this kind of fun burglar seeker sequence. I like the way this scene is shot. Mm-hmm. You see the reflection in the mirror. The music is really cool here. And yeah, like Furious hears him creeping around. He wakes up. He pulls out his 357 Magnum. 
which becomes an important prop in the film, Mm -hmm. loads it up. Meanwhile, little Trey gets up to go pee and doesn't notice it. Furious pops out, fires at this burglar, but doesn't hit him. He ends up blowing two huge holes in the door, which you know what those holes reminded me of? Remember in Evil Dead when the two hands come through the door? Grab Bruce Campbell, and then at the end of the movie when he steps out, there's like these two ridiculous huge holes in the door. Mm-hmm. It kind of looked exactly like that to mm-hmm. me. They were big Because the holes are huge. <laughs> Literally would have blown his head to smithereens if you look at those holes. My dad never had a gun, but he tells a story of one of our houses in Chicago. A guy who like was on, broke into the property and was like walking around to like different windows. And my dad woke up and noticed it. And so my dad figured out like what window he was going mm. to next. And my dad- He tied a string to his shotgun. Up. <laughs> he popped up and screamed oh, as oh loud as he could into the guy's face. And he said the guy fell backwards <laughs> and just, he said he's never seen anyone like run as oh fast as, as that guy. That would be so, terrifying. He didn't have to like, you know, point a gun Nothing or anything. Nothing left you gotta just, do after that. He just screamed like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my friend's dads did have guns. And I remember one time my friend going and opening the drawer and pulling it out. Yeah. That's really scary. All, That's how a lot of kids get And killed. we all kind of fondled it and stuff. It was- <gasps> Jack. And it was a handgun just like that. Um, but we put it back. And one time I was having a sleepover at my house. There was three of us. We we're all spending the night. Summertime, so no school. It was probably like 10 o'clock at night. For whatever reason, we were not satisfied with the food that was at my house for midnight snacking. So my friend was like, Let's walk over to my house and see if we got anything in the fridge. Oh, God. And we had the bright idea of, well, this is, if we're going to sneak out at night, let's dress up for it. So oh, we all put God. on coats and hats. <laughs> like one of us had a, this um, is insane. a fucking fedora. <laughs> and we're like, this will be fun to dress up as fucking film noir gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> at 10 p.m. at night, we sneak out of my house. Walk down the street, sneak into his house. It's pitch black. His parents are asleep. The whole house is dark. We have flashlights. So we're flashlighting through the house. We make it to the kitchen. And in our fucking fedoras and coats with flashlights, we're we're rummaging through the fucking cabinets in the fridge. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hey, hey, clapping hands. His dad is standing at the door in his tidy whitey underwear scared to death because he thinks we are burglars and we all point the flashlights at our faces and we go it's us it's us it's us and i just remember him going like god damn it son god damn it (laughs) (laughs) and we were like we're sorry we were just like seeing if there's any food he was like god damn it he had to like go decompress and yeah. we were all sort of like shook. We were like, why did we do that? <laughs> You're so lucky. Yeah. And then we just sort of like hung our heads and walked back over to my house. And we were like, let's just put on a movie. <laughs> Jack probably eight feet tall. T- I know. Towering over oh, everybody. Yeah. At this point, I was Somebody's tall. So- neck could have got snapped. Yeah. Oh, my God. Whew, it's things like that I think about. I'm like, what the fuck? My weapon of choice, I keep, I keep multiple throughout the house. Don't want a gun. Mm-hmm. Baseball what do I- bat. Not a baseball bat. Knife. Not a knife. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt someone that bad. Mm. Taser. Tactical flashlight. Mm. Think about it. With like a big long. If handle. you take that flashlight and you put it in your eye for one second, you can't. It's so bright oh, you I can't see, see a for idea. a minute. Blinding. You should get that. And so you hold. Like, it's like what a police officer uses. Yeah. You you yeah, hold yeah. it. So 
if you're, I, this happens all the time. Like I'm, I hear a noise and I go out and but somebody was jiggling my gate the other day and I ran out Ooh. and um, I just immediately, my, my go-to thing is immediately go up, like don't stay in the house and wonder like, what was that? Mm-hmm. I, I burst out. So just, hey, hey, <laughs> yeah. can I help you? I go like every time. Yeah. And I have the flashlight ready and I turn it on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody comes at me, I, I know I can like stop them with the light. Right, right. And if they still come at me, then bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah. Three quick hits in the face, you're down. <laughs> Do you sometimes think about like words you could say that might potentially scare? Like whenever you hear a noise and you think maybe somebody- I'm insane with rage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll just, it's like, what's the scariest thing I could say? Like, Johnny, get the shotgun. Like some, some sort of thing to make them scared. Not in that, that accent. That did not I've sound been scared for a day like this. It's a good day to get crazy. <laughs> I had a professor in college tell us, this is so kind of fucked up, but she was like, if you're ever, she said that she would do this. If she ever like had to walk home from like a rehearsal or something alone, that she always kept a hanger in her backpack. And then she would just hold the hanger and just walk down the street and kind of like look up and nobody would ever fuck Because with she looked nutty? Yeah. Because she was holding a hanger and people, like that was just like alarming to see like a woman- Walking with the I hair. mean, that would work, yeah. Being cr- Acting crazy, I guess, is one yeah. tactic you could do. I just don't like a bat. It feels, it sounds good on paper, but it just feels limiting to me. A like bat? If, if we I have one, but I, I do think that I like- I love it. If I have to swing it in the house, I'm just worried like, what if you accidentally hit Corey in the head? Uh-huh, I know, it's true. The tactical flashlight, yeah. I want to get it's one. It's small, it's compact, and it's super effective. Where do you get them? Uh, I just Googled like Army surplus stores. Probably. Direct. I get them direct from the man. I just researched what were the the best ones were. Yeah. Nebo, Coast, Mm -hmm. uh, Olight, different brands make them. So the tip, the tip is not uh, sharp like a knife, but hard, hard metal with edges. You don't, you don't want to get hit with that. I had a college professor who told us that babies bounce. What he was the like, "Fuck, does that have to do with I don't know why he said it was so clear. It was a thing that he told all of his classes, but he would be like, "Don't be afraid to drop your babies because babies bounce." Why? What just made you think of that? You said you had a professor that talked about your, the, the um, hanger thing. I also had another professor who was very adamant that eating and driving was just as bad as drunk driving. Did you also have another professor that was nutty? <gasps> yeah, his name was Professor Clump. <laughs> did you have him too? I did. You had this weird friend named Buddy Love who would sometimes. Okay, let's get back to boys. <laughs> We're not even out of their childhood yet. We gotta yeah. keep so this so up. so. Uh, they find the shoe of the of the burglar, which apparently John Singleton said that this whole situation actually did happen, and his dad did find the shoe of the person and gave the shoe to the little boys in the neighborhood and said, "Find out whose shoe this is." They went. They found out whose shoe it was. They found out where he lived, and he said, "Go back and tell them I know where they live." Wow. Wow. Well. They call the cops. The cops don't come for over an hour. Obviously, Furious is furious about that. They arrive and we get our introduction to the black cop who will show his face again later on the movie, literally eating a donut and drinking coffee as they walk Mm -hmm. up. He does this thing where he was like, I called you guys an hour ago. And the cop goes, whoa, whoa, we didn't ask you that. And he was like, yeah, I know, but I'm telling you. There's already like this animosity between them. He's such an interesting character, like the actor. Like, yeah, know, he's good. Like, he's like quivering as he's like talking and mm-hmm. God, his face is just startling. He tries to shake little Trey's hand and Furious is like, doesn't let him. And he has this great line where he's like, they're a problem. And Lawrence Fishburne says, yeah, there's a problem. It's just a shame you don't know what it is. Good line. Mm-hmm. Good line. That's a trailer line. Mm-hmm. 
or a cold open song, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, by the way, is a parody of the song Boys in the Hood from N.W.A. sung by Easy E, which is what this movie took the title from is that song spelled the same with everything. Um, but at this point in time, N.W.A. was dismantling. They were kind of falling apart with each other. And Ice Cube came from N.W.A. And he was the first to leave the group mm-hmm. and go off on his own. And everybody apparently like, uh, you know, the media was like, you're stupid. You know, you're only as powerful as your group. And he was like, no, I'm going to be my own thing. And everybody, there was kind of like a feud between them. And so- He's so talented. It's like, he's- Oh my God. Yeah. He's incredible in this movie. Yeah. I guess they couldn't reach a a agreement for pay in his contract. Oh, really? Something like that. With Ice Cube? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you mean they couldn't reach an agreement? For NWA, he wanted more oh, money. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So we didn't mention too that Doughboy has a brother named Ricky who is always throwing a football around. And we get to see their household, which is a very stark contrast to Trey's father's household. They're living with their mother, played by Tyra Farrell. And she is downright abusive to Doughboy. She's calling him a fat ass. She's saying you'll never amount to yeah. anything. But then when she interacts with Ricky... She's so loving and is like, you're going to be a special person. And you see there two two tracks how, you know, Ricky ends up f- ha- feeling like he knows where his life is going, that he does have something special and that he's going to be a football player, whereas Doughboy never feels like he's good enough or cared about or heard or anything, you know. You ain't shit. You're just like your dad. You don't do shit and you never got to amount to shit. All you ever do around here is eat, sleep and shit. Look at this place. Well, y'all, y'all must think I'm the maid. Is that it? I gotta go. Hell no, it ain't it. It ain't it till I say it's it, damn it. Is that it? Boy, don't get smart with me, because I'll knock your ass in the middle next week. And where you going anywhere, you little fat fuck? You ain't got a job. Tyra Farrell is so fucking good. I'm just in awe of all of She's her She's so scenes. good, yeah. She just seems to me in more rough shape here than later. It seems like she... She's still problematic, but she, I just notice a change in her seven years later or mm-hmm. whatever. For uh, sure. She feels like but more But she mature. reverts right back to it she does. at the end of the movie. Well, trauma. Yeah. They go outside and they see Chris and Chris says, y'all want to see a dead body? And we're kind of getting a repeat of the first scene, which is also a total homage to Stand By Me. I mean, Stand By Me is all about going to see a dead body, which mm-hmm. is very interesting that that's what that movie is all about. And it's this sort of, hugely significant moment in these little white boys life mm-hmm. but these kids here it's just another it's a blip it's you brilliant know? it's just a little sequence i love that so they trek out they find this dead body it's just literally laying there like not even that far off the side of the road nobody's come to pick it up it stinks it's really been there for a couple of days and this group of older teenagers comes up and essentially starts kind of picking on the group and they one of the guys forces ricky to give him the football and when he does, he just takes it, walks away with it. And there's one guy in the group who clearly has like the most power of the group. And he's got a heart too. He's like, yeah. hey man, give the kid his ball back. But he won't do it. Doughboy sticks up for Ricky. He then goes up and starts to fight this dude. No, he's a good brother. Give me my brother's ball back. Fights this guy. He ends up getting beaten up by the dude. He knocks him down. He kicks him in the stomach. It's really sad. And then as they're walking away, the guy from the group who's sort of like, is looking onto this whole thing, feeling kind of bad, ends up getting the football back and says, hey, little man, catch. Throws in the football. So sad that he doesn't catch the ball. I know. <laughs> it just goes through his hand. And Doughboy has a really funny line. He's like, man, you're sorry. <laughs> 
It's funny. I do kind of wish he just caught the ball, but I, love I it. think it's it feels probably so real. like the kid yeah. really didn't catch the feels ball. So they're like, real. we gotta keep just, it moving. Yeah. yeah. I, and I love the little ad lib line. I don't know. I just, it would have just been more, a little more emotional if he caught it. But it would have already... had more had that cinematic magic to it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Because it, it's already bordering on melodrama a little bit, like, hey, catch it's beautiful it's but it's beautiful though i love it uh so then we get this the classic uh fishing scene with lawrence fishburne and trey they're talking about sex basically he asked trey what he <laughs> what do you know so about funny. sex he's like i know about sex he's like okay tell me what you know he's like you stick your dingling in her and nine months later a baby, a baby comes, comes out, out. <laughs> he's not wrong he's not he's wrong like, yeah and what does lawrence fishburne say he's like and you think that's all it is pretty much well remember this any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. I wasn't but 17 when your mother was pregnant with you. All of my friends was dropping out of high school, hanging out on corners, in front of liquor stores, getting drunk, getting high. Some of them was robbing people. Some of them was even killing people. You remember my friend Marcus? Yeah. He got into robbing people. He wanted me to come along and join him, but I was like, nah, man. You're getting ready to have a son? I knew you was going to be a boy. Anyway, I wanted to be somebody you could look up to. Did you ever have any... Did your parents talk to you about sex? Not really. I can't say mine really did either. I... Yeah, they <laughs> they had me go to like a whole class. Your parents did? Yes, where I literally learned about everything. Oh, that's good. OWL was the program. Mm. And, and when I mean everything, I mean everything. Which I mean... Hey, you need to. I learned, yeah. There were visuals, drawing visuals, sixth grade. Wow. I remember having... learned about everything. And then... But they, but it wasn't really like a talk with them. It was like, here's yeah. this class. We'd had sex ed, like oh sure, like in elementary school. In elementary where school, where the boys we had, and like, girls were separated. Did you not have this, Justin? Uh, Nobody ever came in and like showed videos or talked about. I don't about. think until middle school. This Ours was, in was elementary fifth grade. Hmm. Now it was it was very. Sterile. It was more about like your bot, like this is your body, like for girls. Yeah, for it was separated for us too. And there was a section, a cartoon section about wet dreams. Yep. That's it. That's what it was. It was all medical. It was like sometimes when you're sleeping, your penis will fill with blood, and it would show like little di like cartoons. And everybody would be laughing. It was still like a little confusing, I would say. But yeah, I kind of had to learn all that stuff through movies. Yeah. I do. I have one specific memory of riding in the car with my mom with my friends, and I was kind of being a little asshole, playing around or something. And my mom was like, "Stop!" And I said, "Blow me!" Oh my god! And she, and my mom said, "Do you even know what that means?" And I literally had no clue. And <laughs> so she, embarrassing. And she but. was like, it means that you want me to suck your penis. <laughs> and she knew she was embarrassing me in front of my friends, which was on purpose, you know? Oh, and that was how I learned what blow me meant. <laughs> my parents would have pulled over the car and I would have gotten Oh, she was mad. Ass yeah. She was mad. I would never, ever, ever blow me in front of your friends yeah. too. How dare you? But she turned the tables. My mom almost flipped out when someone said shut up to my mom and she wanted she wanted to, me to never ever ever have him come Really? Over again. <laughs> Wait, like he my, said it to your mom? Yeah. 
Oh my god! He was like he was being you know whatever. I'm not justifying it, but he's you know kid. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. it's one thing if she heard him say "shut up" to you. A kid says "shut up" to me. I want to kick them out of my house right then. Yeah, I'm on your mom's. One of the times I saw my mom most furious was when my brother was on the phone with a friend and they got into a fight on the phone, and my brother kind of started crying, and so my mom got on the phone and was like. Who am I talking to? And whoever his friend was started cursing her out. I've never seen her so livid. And I remember her like hanging up the phone. And I remember sitting on the bed and I go, he's not going to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom goes, Jack, shut up. (laughs) Uh, The idea of having to have the sex talk with a kid feels. What he does is he just talks to Trey like he is a man. You know, he just tells him straight up everything. And that is, I think, the way you got to do it because kids do absorb everything. You know, they they understand what's going on. You can just talk to them for real. And on their way home from this fishing trip, ooh, chap, things are gonna get easier. It sort of starts as this sweet scene where he's like, "Oh, you got to hear this song. Let me. This is a beautiful song." He starts singing along to it. But then, as they're pulling up to the house, they see the cops are Ugh. over at Doughboy and Ricky's, and they're arresting Doughboy. And you hear one and of the kids, Ricky. No, they're just or arresting Doughboy. not Ricky, Doughboy Doe and, and Chris. Oh, you're right. Yeah, they're arresting Chris too. Uh, and then it fades out, fade back up seven years later. We're at this backyard barbecue and we kind of get reintroduced to all the characters, but now they're seven years older. They're all adults played by different actors. And the first person we see is Ricky. It's Morris Chestnut looking great, buff, who still looks great today. Oh my God. He looks incredible. Handsome Very handsome man. This was his first film. He had done He had done a small part in the, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV series. And as I mentioned in the song, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Morris Chestnut were the first two actors to walk in to audition for this movie. And they were both wow, cast. Wow. That's incredible. We see that Ricky has a child. He has a girlfriend and he has a small baby. And uh, he's still real into football. We find out that he's pushing towards a scholarship to go to USC to play football there. We get introduced to Trey, who is played by Cuba Gooding Jr. He walks in, he's looking fresh. The disgraced Cuba Gooding Jr. Wait, why is he, he disgraced? He just settled a rape lawsuit. <gasps> I didn't know this. It was a civil court, a civil case, and he settled to avoid it going to New York trial. Damn. I really wish And I... it was multiple, three women, I think. Wow. Yeesh. Yeah. Well, wow, years, I'm this up right now. Years of sexual abuse and unwanted. Mm. kissing touching and rape it's a little confusing about what happened to him career-wise because obviously this movie put him really on the map Mm -hmm. he started getting a bunch of good roles after this then he won best supporting actor for jerry Uh Maguire, which is a good performance Mm -hmm. i remember he did men of honor with robert de niro which i think is also a pretty good movie and a good performance but then i want to say he it probably happened with pearl harbor Honestly, I always felt like it was his role in that was weird because he should have been, he was a leading man at that point, mm-hmm. but he was playing kind of like a weird supporting character in Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor. He was not the lead. And then it seems like from there, his career just started to roll downhill. He started doing like Rat Race and Snow Dogs. And- I loved Rat Race when it came out. Me too. Was- yeah, yeah, me too. I did too. <laughs> you know what other, uh, I loved uh, Chill Factor. Did you ever see that? Cuba so, Gooding Jr. and yeah. Skeet Rich. They have to like- Transport a nuclear bomb that yep. has to stay cold, uh-huh. so they have it in like an ice cream shop. Yep. Never mm-hmm. heard of it. But yeah, it's like after Pearl Harbor, all downhill from there. Yeah. Until he did, I did like him in the uh, People versus OJ. Thought oh, he was, good in that. He he was, was great. great, but not like the biggest part of the show. I mean, no. obviously he played OJ, I mean, but he, he was, was sort of. But that was 
But he did good. Pretty incredible. And you know who directed that? John, John Singleton. Singleton. Yes, I just remember that. And then we see Doughboy, who has just been released. Not. For, it seems like he's now been in and out of some form of like the juvenile or the prison system, but he's just been released. Ice Cube immediately is a fucking star. He plays it so real. He's really authentic. Now you think of Ice Cube as a as a actor, well seasoned yeah. actor, but this is his first time ever breaking out of the. Was it? Didn't I? I think I read somewhere that John Singleton was the one who was like, "You should be writing movies to Ice Cube," and yeah. that's like how he wrote Friday. Yeah, what a talented person. You see that Chris, the little boy with the jerry curl, is now in a wheelchair. So we don't know exactly what happened. Probably was shot, and now he's paralyzed from the waist down. And this guy is also just like was a found dude. He had written in the script that Chris was a character in a wheelchair. And this guy came in and he's like, I'm really in a wheelchair. You have to cast me in this part. Like you basically <laughs> wrote me. And John Singleton was like, sure, you're <laughs> you're the part. And you can tell because this guy does like tricks in his wheelchair and stuff. Like he's and he's muscular. He's too. good. Yeah. He's yeah, really he's good. He's really good. Um, and then there's two new characters. There's one named Dookie, who's this kind of scrawny guy who sucks on a pacifier. Which Singleton said this guy, when he came into audition, was really doing that because he was trying to quit smoking and he'd heard that if he chewed on a pacifier, it would help him not crave cigarettes. And Singleton was like, love it. That's part of the character now. And this other guy named Monster, who doesn't have like a lot of lines in the movie, but he's kind of always there. Yeah, this backyard barbecue is fun. Oh, we also get to meet the women of the movie. We get to uh, meet Neil Long is basically crushing on Cuba Gooding Jr. He's crushing on her, but he's trying to play it cool. It's so funny when he's like, like I'm, I'm making her wait or whatever, looking away. Mm-hmm. And Morris Chestnut's like, "Is it working?" He's like, "Yeah, she's um, she's leaving. Yeah, she's gone." <laughs> and oh man, Regina King is one of Regina the girls King here is too. So funny, she's so funny. Uh, so then we get this recruiter scene. A recruiter from USC comes to talk to Ricky about potentially coming to the school. I love this sequence because there's so much going on in it. It's great. You have. Well, first, I think he's like somebody trying to yeah. roll up on him. It's so this movie always has this dread looming over everything it kind of feels like a horror movie a lot of times at that because there's just danger potential danger lurking around every corner so yeah doughboy and his group are sitting on the porch and this car starts creeping around the corner and the music changes and they all get kind of like puffed up and they don't know who it is and it turns out to be this usc recruiter who's just looking for the house but it gives the impression that like at any moment an enemy could come riding by and i love this because you see that Ricky and his mom are like dressed the same. They're in like a matching mm-hmm. outfit and she's bringing out snacks. She's really trying to woo this recruiter. And he essentially finds out that they do want him. They are interested in him playing football, but he's got to score well on his SAT in order to get the scholarship. I love when her when his mom like snaps at them to get off the couch. Yes. She's like, get out of here. <laughs> and the couch is covered in plastic. Yeah. So they can't touch it. Don't sit on the good part. And throughout this whole scene, helicopters are just like, barreling through the outside so you're constantly hearing this roar of helicopters Mm -hmm. through it and you're seeing the spotlight moving into the windows and this recruiter kind of seems like he does this all the time because he's not really afraid or intimidated by any of this stuff it's sort of like yeah i gotta go to these kids houses all the Mm -hmm. time and then there's this really significant moment where it's all going well and then ricky's little baby runs out and his girlfriend comes out and she's like oh i'm trying to give him a bath and he says that's your little brother and he says no it's my son and the recruiter kind of goes oh and it almost feels like, uh-oh, is that going to be like a knock against him? Just the whole vibe of that sequence. It's, it has like a tension to it, but there's also a ton of comedy in it. 
And yeah, so then they all take the SAT test. Which kind of brought back a lot of memories. I hated taking standardized Did tests. you take the SAT or the ACT in high school? You don't have to take both? Mm-mm. I didn't. I only took the ACT. In Arkansas, we only had to take the ACT. I feel like I took both. So we had to do ACT, and that's like when we were doing it. I think it might be different now, but it was like a, the highest score was a 35. And I took the ACT and did fine like in English and stuff like that. But like my science and math were low. And then I took it a second time. And there was this kid that we grew up with who was like, <laughs> this is before Adderall was like what it is now, where it's like everybody talks about taking Adderall. But there was a kid with ADD who had Adderall. And he was like, okay, you guys, uh, I have Adderall if anybody needs it for the test. And this is like the first time. And I remember it being passed out and everybody's like, yeah, 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 give me one. And I took an Adderall. The first time I had ever taken an Adderall was for the ACT. And I felt like it gave me superpowers. <laughs> I suddenly was like, <laughs> I understand everything. This all makes sense. And my score jumped by nine points. Nine. That's so, that's huge in the ACT. It does wow. make you focus. Yeah. And I, it makes think you like on, I think like focus. on science, I'd gotten like a 19, which is like very low. And then I jumped up to a 28, which could get you a scholarship. Do you think you have ADD? Sure. Probably to a degree. I'm to a degree for sure. I love Adderall. I wish I could have a, subscri- a, a subscription, subscription, a prescription to it. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could have a subscription to it. So they take the SATs and then um, Ricky and Trey go to his dad's. He's uh, a, a loan officer. Which is the real job I think that John Singleton's dad had. Furious does mention like all of those tests are culturally biased to begin with. Except for math. Except for math, which is the only neutral subject. And uh, then he's like, I want to take you, I want to show you guys something. And they're like, do we have a choice? And he's like, no. <laughs> he takes them to this area where there's this big sign up that's basically like, sell your home for cash. And he explains to them what gentrification is. This is the best scene. Why don't y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? Don't go for it. Y'all, Amos and Andy, are you stepping and he's fetching? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Black owned with black money, just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black oh, people yeah. Yeah. selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. It wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit. But they want us to kill ourselves. I think right then and there, that kind of tells you what that opening stuff is sort of trying to get you to think about. You know, that old man represents the headline. 
Yeah, yeah. and I, this is what taught me what gentrification was. I didn't. I'd never heard the word before until mm-hmm. I saw this movie. My, the only bummer is with the the billboard behind him mm-hmm. that he's pointing to is Korean real estate company. Yes, yeah. And so it's like it's kind of putting this idea that like I don't know. I, I just I wish it wasn't focused on on like hey we don't want you know he's not saying we don't want Koreans right, in here right but it's a Korean real estate billboard mm-hmm. it just yeah would have been. I don't know. Well, to me, it feels like what Do the Right Thing does, where it's sort of, it's pointing out how this whole systematic problem pits other races against each other as well. And so that's probably just real. I'm sure if you ask John Singleton, he's like, yeah, you go there and it's all Korean billboards for this stuff, you know? I think this movie makes it very clear where the issues are coming from and who is pulling the strings on those things. But yeah, I see what you mean. I think the scene is great. And it's honestly, it's because Lawrence Fishburne is so fucking good. Like, yeah. he sells it. He doesn't make, it doesn't feel cheesy when you watch it. Whereas if you read this in a script form, you might be like, this scene feels like it's really preachy. But that's why I think sometimes as writers, we do have to take the leap and you do. just trust the actor. When you write things that you're like, oh, that's too on the nose mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just go with your gut. Like, if you want to say that, Find a way to make it work out yeah. of that character's mouth. You know? And it works with the context of the character. The whole reason why Trey was sent to Furious was so that he could teach him. It's like Karate Kid. You know, He is the Mr. Miyagi. He knows I have to teach my boy. And so I'm going to take any opportunity to teach him a lesson. So to me, it's like totally in line with who he is as a character. So yeah, then there's this car show sequence where they go and they meet up with Doughboy and they have their first run in. Well, actually, first they have a conversation about God and religion. And I don't know about y'all, but this scene reminded me of our signs conversation because Chris, who's in the wheelchair, has now become like religious. And earlier in the movie, he says like the best place to pick up women, church. Church. And they're like, fuck you. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to roll you off this porch. (laughs) But then he's now he's like, do you believe in God? And Doughboy is essentially like, no, I don't believe in God. Like, if there was a God, why would he let all these children die? Why Hell would he yeah. let us be living in Preach. all this stuff? So clearly you're Doughboy. Mm-hmm. I think Regina King is probably Corey because she's, yeah. she's pretty much- And you're the roll up in church and- <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, bunnies. let's go find some girls at church. Yeah. They gang up on Doughboy, which I guess we ganged up on you a little bit in that. Normally, I'm the one who's getting ganged up on- by you fucking bitches. But Signs episode, we were kind of ganging up. Yeah, on when we ever, whenever we talk about religion, y'all acting like a couple missionaries coming to convert me. Never. Uh, but in this scene, they get sort of, uh, they have a run-in with these group of guys who are wearing all red, so it seems to be implied that they're part of the Bloods. They have this little confrontation where Doughboy ends up pulling out a gun and sort of threatening to shoot them. And they walk away, but then as they're sort of like, hanging out, all of a sudden gunshots start going off and everybody flees and we see that it's the guys in red with machine with the guns. Cap. So with the bulls cap. So that was a cool bulls cap. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere, do you know if this is true, that mm-hmm. when they were shooting it, that John Singleton didn't ever tell them when gunshots were going to go off so that the reactions would be real? Just in this scene. Just in this scene. That's a risky... It is I risky. Know. He says that he was. That. He says it was very dangerous and that, you know, like, he probably wouldn't do that again, but... Apparently, Ice Cube almost ran over somebody's leg with his car when he's You can see out. it. <laughs> I, when we were watching the movie, I said, holy shit, because he does almost run over somebody. <sighs> somebody falls and they get out of the way just in the nick of time. That's terrifying. And I he's mean, driving. You can see him 
doing the driving. Yeah, as an actor, I mean, like you have the potential to accidentally kill someone on set yeah. Like, yeah. or like hurt somebody. That's scary. So they said before the scene happened, like the day before, uh, while they were setting up for a shot, Ice Cube and his group that we, he was with, his like entourage, got into a fight with a total, like a, a neighborhood gang member. And they beat this guy up pretty badly. His his entourage did. But the guy, as he was like limping out of the set, was like, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to kill everybody on this set. So suddenly all the crew and everybody got really scared. And so the next day when they were shooting this car show sequence, the cinematographer was like, we need to get all of the, the lighting gear trucks and we need to line the block with them to cover us, to protect us. So that if somebody drives down wow. the street, they can't drive by us because there's this big, there's these trucks in the way. So they did that, but everybody was on edge. And that's what gave John Singleton the idea to not tell them that he was going to fuck. Wow, God, that could have gone so bad. That's fucked up. He's a kid. Give him a break. He's 24 years old. He's 24 years old. That's what a kid does. Interesting thing. One of these guys in this group, the, the red, the red costume group, the guy who ends up shooting the shotgun at the end of the movie, he's got the red baseball cap on backwards. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. His name is Lloyd Avery II, and he is a little bit of like an internet true crime urban legend. Have you heard anything about this guy? No. So this guy from Los Angeles, grew up here, fairly middle class, went to Beverly Hills High School, always dreamed of being an actor, got the part in this movie. John Singleton took a liking to him, put him in Poetic Justice. He ended up getting cast in a few other movies. He's even in Don't Be a Menace, but his career never quite took off. And all the roles he was getting were like gangster roles. So he decided to move to an area of Los Angeles called the Jungles, which is a a rough area, in order to get a little bit more street cred. He ended up joining the Bloods and actually becoming a gang member. John Singleton literally was like, he became the character that he was in Boys in the Hood. He ended up getting into a fight with a woman at a store and shooting and killing her. Oh my God. He got put in prison. And at the same time, he started writing a script, his own like Boys in the Hood. Then in prison, found God, became a newborn Christian, but then he got put into a cell with a Satanist. (gasps) Oh my God. (laughs) And they ended up getting into a fight over religion and the Satanist murdered him in the cell (gasps) and then hid his body in the cell. And apparently for two days, they did multiple like head counts, the security guards did. And they counted his head. Somehow on the record, they counted him as being there. He had like hidden him under the sheets in his bed. And two days later, they started to smell him. They found his body. Then the, the rumor is, is they, then they found the script. And in the script, the character that he had written went to prison, killed his cellmate, and hid the body in Whoa. the script. So the Satanist had read that and was like, that's a good idea. Maybe. But yeah, there's there. If you like Google his name, Lloyd Avery II, tons of stuff. He's the internet is obsessed wow. with. So yeah, on the way home, uh, Trey and Ricky they end up getting pulled over by the cops, and the same black police officer pulls them over. He ends up pulling a gun on them, putting it up to Trey's throat, and he's like, "You, you a badass, right?" I didn't do nothing. You think you tough? <laughs> you scared now? I like that. That's why I took this job. I hate little motherfuckers like you. Little niggas, you ain't shit. Think you're tough, huh? 
blow your head off with this mythical wasn't it? You couldn't do shit. How you feel now? We got and a good tear coming down. Well, Cuba Gooding uh, is so good in so this. Good. The scene is powerful enough as it is, but then we f we really get to see the aftermath of the experience. Cuba Gooding Jr. goes to Neil Long's house and has like a full blown breakdown about mm -hmm. it. Kill all these motherfuckers. I'm sick, sick, fucking tired of shit. I'm sick of this shit. I'm so fucking tired of this shit. Fuck this shit. And his anger turns to like sobbing tears oh, and she God. has to like hold him and really powerful moment. And it ends up turning into them having sex. Interesting thing about the sex scene, they did not like each other. Really? Yeah. Nia Long and Cuba Gooding Jr. were not really getting along on set. Singleton and Nia Long and Cuba Gooding Jr., they all talk about it. And basically knowing that they had this sex scene coming was like stressing everybody out, knowing that they were going to have to be so intimate with each other. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was like fucking 20 years old at this time. So he was like, that resulted in me kind of acting like an idiot. She was like, in the sex scenes, he would be like picking his toes and trying to gross her Ew. out. And so she was like, I found him extremely annoying. And I like, we did not really get along with each other. And so the sex scene was kind of awkward. It didn't feel awkward. It's a sexy scene. She was like the it girl of mm -hmm. this time too, for so long. Yeah. She was um, Will Smith's girlfriend and Fresh Prince. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, she was just so beautiful. I loved her. Yeah. She's still so beautiful. So then we're kind of at the final sort of sequence of this movie. They're waiting. Mm. Yeah, this is when it gets rough. Ricky is waiting on his SAT scores to see if he's going to get this scholarship. Ricky and Doughboy end up getting into a fight. And it's a little bit about their mom. And Ricky says, fuck you. And then they get into this fist fight in the yard. Trey has to break it up. And uh, they walk away. And this is sad because this is basically the last interaction that Doughboy and Ricky have. Mm. Uh, Trey and Ricky walk to the store. And they see the guys in red cruising in their red car. And they're like, oh, shit. So they decide to duck out into an alleyway. And the guys in the red car see that. And they start chasing them. But they have to, like, go around the blocks. So in the alleyways, Trey and Ricky kind of get away. But then Ricky is like, hey, let's split up. Which is a bad idea. Trey doesn't want to do it. But Ricky's like, oh, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. And literally right when they split up, the car pulls up. Mm. And Cuba Gooding Jr. turns, he sees them. Ricky! All the sound drops out, except for like little kids playing. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. runs up, grabs him, holds him. Doughboy and his group come over and they see him and like, damn, this is, all of them are so good in this scene. Obviously Ice Cube walking out and seeing and realizing what has happened, just like uh. the, the blood draining from his face. But everybody, like you see Chris in the background, like he rolls up and he sees the body and then he puts his head on the hood of the car and Dookie is like crying. It's just like, whew. and then they decide to 
pick them up and take them back home. And it feels this this reminded me of Deliverance a little bit because you mm, get this like mm-hmm. bird's eye shot of them carrying him, and he's kind of in like a Christ pose. You know, they take him back home and they put him on the couch. And this is the most hair. This is when the tears started streaming down my face mm-hmm. because they put him on the couch and Doughboy screams for his mom. And first, Ricky's girlfriend comes out with the baby. She screams and the baby screams. Uh, oh my God. And then their mom comes out and she like doesn't. That's when I really started crying. She, she doesn't believe up. it. She's going like, Ricky, get up. Ricky, get up. And she's grabbing him and holding him. And everybody is screaming. And you hear babies crying in the other houses. And it's so sad because Doughboy says, give me the baby. He wants to take the baby. He shouldn't see this. And immediately Ricky's girlfriend like hits him and she's like, don't fucking touch him. And then he goes over to their mom and she hugs him at first. They get like a brief moment where they embrace, but then she fucking starts smacking him, blaming him. You did this. You did this. And starts hitting him. She's always blaming Doughboy. And even in Ricky's death, Ricky's, she's well, but Ricky's beating not him getting up. into trouble. Yeah. He's not starting trouble ever. But maybe if maybe if Doughboy was loved more, he wouldn't be the troublemaker he is. Maybe if she treated him like she treated Ricky. Well, Doughboy also sure. was Ricky got to grow up in a house and Doughboy got had to grow up in prison. Yeah. True. True. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not everybody is the same. Everybody is different. Even think about two people. Growing up in the same house, sure. one person who turned out very different than someone else. You but know? I'll, I'll, you just seem to be saying there's a justifiable reason why she beats on one son and doesn't no. beat on. No, she should I'm saying not be in treating, this yeah. scene, we don't have the right to judge two people who are dealing with something we could never fathom. I'm not judging. I'm saying it's it's devastating for Doughboy. I feel so bad for Doughboy in this because he can't even share the grief with this family. They won't even allow him to share the grief. Yeah. Which leads to, it totally justifies why he now feels like he must go avenge his brother's death. Not even just for his brother, but like, he's got to prove it to his fucking mom. Like, if she thinks I'm responsible for this, then I've got to go take care of it. Cuba Gooding Jr. is the one who says, meet me at my house. Mm -hmm. In five minutes. He's instigating this. Yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. marches back over to his dad's house. Covered in blood. Covered, covered in Ricky's blood. And immediately goes into Furious's room and pulls out that 357 Magnum. Furious sees him. He comes in. He closes the door. He steps in his way. And he's like, where the fuck are you going? And he's like, you want to shoot somebody? You want to be bad? Shoot me. I'm sorry about your friend, but that is their problem. And you are my problem. And I'm not letting you walk mm-hmm. out that door. The streets don't control you. Listen to me. And it works. This is really, this kind of a standoff, but he ends up giving him the gun. And they hug. And Furious. Tells him I love you, which I think is the first time that's uttered in the movie. But it doesn't work. It doesn't. But yeah, work. ends up plot twist. Cuba Gooding Jr. ends up sneaking out the window, joining Doughboy, and they go on cruising out looking for these guys in Doughboy's car. And this is a good sequence too, where it's just sort of this drawn out sequence of like, what the fuck is going to happen? And then all of a sudden, he's like, Doughboy, stop the car and let me out. And he only has to ask like two times. Doughboy doesn't say anything. He pulls the car over. He lets him out. It's like, understood he's not going to go along with this journey. He realizes I have to make the right decision here. He gets out. They end up finding the guys at this burger place called Eat a Burger. And I really like that the movie lets us sit with these guys for a few minutes before anything happens. And what you see in this sequence is that 
they're kind of just like normal kids too. They're talking about like getting a haircut and like, are you going to go see that girl? You know, we get like a brief moment where you're like, they're not actually that different from Doughboy and his group. They're just kids just like anybody else. Yes, they're cold-blooded. They're cold-blooded killers. killers, But in cold blood, just gun somebody down in the street. But yeah. I'm, yeah, you don't want to see them portrayed as a caricature. Exactly. Villain. Yeah. So that's a smart choice. I, I love but, that yeah. you you get to like spend a minute with them where they're just sort of like laughing with each other and not in a maniacal way, just a very normal, the way teenagers hang out. And yeah, Doughboy pulls up, they see him, they run, they literally have like a fucking AK-47. They shoot them all in the back. How are they getting this shit? Like, where do they get these Gun guns stores. from? automatic weapons like that you can get them from gun stores you get them on the streets i know it's just fucking ridiculous ridiculous. it's crazy and then doughboy gets out of the car with his pistol and walks up and executes all three of them justice is served (laughs) (laughs) but it's sad man it's sad it's there's no there's no glory in this he's he's doomed he's doomed yeah and then we get our final sequence it kind of fades to the next day and we see Doughboy, and he's, if you notice, he's dressed completely differently. He doesn't have his hat on. He's not dressed fresh like he normally is. He's kind of schlubbier. He's in like pajama pants and flip flops. And he looks like a changed person. Like he looks broken. He's kind of hanging his head. Well, this is probably the first time he's killed somebody. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he woke up the next day without a brother, basically without a family. Yeah. He has nobody. And that's what he says. He meets up with Trey on the porch and he sits down and he has this great, speech where he says like i turned on the news this morning turned on the tv this morning had to shit on about about living in a violent a violent world showed all these foreign places foreigners living on started thinking man Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. They had all this foreign shit. They ain't have shit on my brother, man. I ain't got no brother. And he gets up and Trey says, Yo, Doe, you still got one brother left, man. <laughs> and they hug. And he walks away. And as he's walking away, Doughboy fades out of the picture. And a little title <sighs> card comes up that says, Two weeks later, he was murdered. Mm-hmm. Which is also a reference to uh, Stand By Me. Because that same thing happens with uh, River Phoenix's character. Mm. And then a title card comes up that says, Trey went to Morehouse College like a month later. Mm-hmm. And so, and girlfriend went to Spellman. Yep. Hell yeah. Title card comes up, Boys in the Hood, underneath it, increase the peace. Boys in the Hood fades away, increase the peace stays on for one speed longer. And he wanted to put that on the poster. But Drystar was like, that's cheesy. We don't want to put increase the peace. And so they put, once upon a time, this ain't no fairy tale. That's what their thing was, which I can kind of see. You know, it is cheesy. Increase the piece is cheesy. You got to no, mark the movie in some it. way. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. 
The end, fade to black. So good. Get a good Ice Cube song in the credits. All right, we're going to take one more break and we'll be back with our final thoughts on Boys in the Hood. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome everybody back to Cinema Possessed and we are doing final thoughts on John Singleton's debut feature film, Boys in the Hood. Justin, I'm going to start with you. It's a good one. It's emotional. Gets me gets me upset every mm. time I watch it. Mm-hmm. I feel kinship with the movie. I'm very interested in communities and pockets of the world where uh, things go on that mainstream doesn't know about doesn't talk about i mean i i come from a background where um my people are being killed and murdered every single day and nobody's talking about it nobody cares nobody uh it's not shown it's not they don't know don't show Mm -hmm. don't care and it hurts it's really painful so i feel a connection with this movie deeper than any any other kind of movie I could think of. It's not one I want to keep watching just because it's so good, but mm-hmm. it's so painful. It's very traumatic. It's not, you don't come out of the movie necessarily feeling good. Yeah. It's it's, um, it's something I think everybody else sh- should watch. Um, this should be shown in fucking school. Yeah. You know? With Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to, we need to um, look at the violence of a movie like, uh, boys in the hood in a different way that it's just showing reality i think too many people are afraid to look at violence when it's real mm-hmm. um because they're in denial and they know that there there's a complicity a little bit in not looking to me i feel like there's a complicity in not looking at what's in your backyard so and this humanizes it you know mm-hmm. a, a subject in a in a a problem that I think a lot of people dehumanize. Yeah. Especially and, back then, it was really dehumanized, the yeah. issue. And like you said, you know, the the opening, I get the opening text crawls a little, you know, uh, iffy. I think it would be iffy if that was coming from a white filmmaker. For sure. But yeah. I trust John Singleton, and I trust that he's putting it there for a reason, and it's probably a valid statistic, mm-hmm. but the movie says, let's look behind this. Yeah. Let's examine see, why. You know, why. And I think that gentrification speech from 
Furious is it's the whole movie right there, you know, mm-hmm. and um, more people need need to get a glimpse of that. So yeah, hell yeah, movie's great, well made. I think it's unbelievable that he did this at the age that he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, great example of write what you know. Yep. You nailed it. Corey, how about you? Agree. I think this is a a beautiful movie. It's a very it's a tough watch. It's weird that I watched it when I think about it. I'm like, oh, that's so weird that this movie was on TV so much when I was a kid. And I watched this movie so many times as a kid um, or at least pieces of it. Uh, I agree. I think that this totally is a movie that should be shown in schools. Um, beautiful acting. Insane that he made this at the age of 24. Like blows my mind. I had as it feels weird to say I had a good time watching it because it it wasn't a good time, but it was. I mean, I'm happy that I spent my time watching it. I know what you mean, and yeah, I agree. I mean that I and I know exactly that feeling of like when something's good, when something works, when something is powerful. For me, at least, it doesn't matter if it's sad. I enjoy watching good art. I enjoy consuming powerful emotional stuff. If it makes me cry, all the better. I love watching this movie. I've loved it for a long time, and I love that it's a staple of television. I love that we were able to watch this movie as kids. I think about the lessons that I probably learned from watching this movie as a kid, you know, unknowingly. I probably can't even comprehend how much this sort of like imbued my ethics, my my morals, what what I consider right and wrong, and the value of human life. I love that it's sincere. I love that it's classic. It's not a pastiche. Stand By Me was obviously an influence, but it also feels like uh, other sort of like epic coming of age journeys from childhood to adulthood. Once Upon a Time in America is another example. It has a godfather. This feels like it's on the level of like the fucking godfather to me in its importance, in its scope, in its impact. And I love it. I'm probably going to get a blu-ray of this thing i'm happy with this dvd it looked great there's a 4k now i'll fucking get the 4k i got menace to society on criterion criterion needs to get this thing out there that's it's a little wild to me that menace came before boys you mean on criterion yeah 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 which menace to society is a masterpiece too good soundtrack we didn't really mention but the soundtrack to this is banging i will say menace to society has a slightly better soundtrack but they're both worth getting i had them both on cd cd's nuts in your mouth oh my god do you like uh, Wendy's? Not really. But do you like Wendy's nuts are in your mouth? <laughs> Corey, are you a fan of Captain D's? Don't don't respond or just stay silent. <laughs> okay, but you both must love Chef Boyardee. Because Boyardee's nuts good in your mouth. What is the captain? How is this one? podcast ever going to become successful <laughs> with that kind of... What is the That's captain? what's going to make it become successful. You're asking me what's, what is Captain D's? Uh, captain D's nuts in your mouth? I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. <laughs> that one doesn't make as much sense. What? It has D in it. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Boys in the Hood, what do you say we play the blank in the blank quiz? That's right. Blank in the blank. Okay. It's not multiple choice. I will read a description of a movie and you just have to tell me the title. Blank in the blank. Question number one. All movie titles? All movie titles. Question number one. In this early 90s children's movie, 
A young boy prays for his favorite baseball team to win the pennant, and spirits are ascending oh, from heaven. Angels in the outfield. Booyah! That's what I'm saying. Points for Justin. Oh, love that movie. Good move. Question number two. In this 1950s musical, a silent film star falls in love with a chorus girl while Hollywood is making the awkward transition to talking pictures. Justin singing in the rain. Two Ooh, points yeah. for oh, Justin. Wow. Blank in the blank. Okay, because I was thinking singing in the rain, but didn't I didn't get that in my brain quick enough. Question number three. In this mid-90s stunt spectacular, a young man visiting New York to help his uncle is forced to fight street gangs and a mob using his martial arts skills. Justin, rumble in the Bronx. Three points oh, yeah. for yes. Justin. Oh. Corey, he is smoking your Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the first two movies. Okay, question number four. In this 2011 horror satire, a group of college students retreat to a remote getaway where they fall victim to a Justin, variety cabin, cabin in, in the, the woods. woods. <gasps> yeah. That's what I'm saying. We can both have it. Okay, four points for Justin, one point for Corey. <laughs> the next one's worth 15,000 points. Question number five. In this early aughts flop, an apartment building superintendent finds a woman in his pool and summons his tenants to help Corey, protect her. Corey, lady in the water? Corey gets <laughs> two <laughs> points. So we're four to two, Dustin's lead. Question number six. In this heartbreaking early 2000s musical, a woman on the verge of blindness works to earn money for an operation that will save the eyesight of her young son. What, a musical? Mm-hmm. A heartbreaking early 2000s musical. Woman on the verge of blindness works to earn money for an operation that will save the eyesight of her young son. I can give you a big hint. Please. It stars Bjork. Oh. Ugh, I don't remember what that was called. It's the blank in the blank quiz. Eh. Justin. Dancer in the Dark. Dancer That's correct. I'm saying. Justin has five points. Corey has two points. That movie really hurt. This next question is worth four points. Final question. What is the tagline for Sister Act 2? I'm blank in the blank. She's about bringing the sister in the... The sister in it? No. Why don't you try saying the title? Sister Act 2. Nuns in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that sh that should have been. <laughs> Sister Act 2 is with Lauren Hill. Come on, you know this. It's literally the title of the movie. It's like it doesn't it rarely ever is just called Sister Act 2. It's always called Sister Act 2. Bring in the blank in the blank. Blank in the blank. <laughs> is nuns a part of it? Caught in the act? No, but there is a nun pun in it. What do nuns wear? Habits. Habit in the 
Something in the, the habit. habit. Back in the habit. Justin got it. <laughs> yeah, back in the habit. Sister Act Two. Back in the habit. So bad. <laughs> Nuns in the hood. In that's the hood. good. Yeah, that's a that's good pun. Yeah. Justin wins the blank in the blank quiz. Yay! Yay! And that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. If you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And Justin, tell the people what movie we're talking about next week. Next week, we're talking about a little underrated Jones flick called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984. And as always, folks, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Bye. Ciao.